Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast, The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. Hosts Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Liba, and producer Elvin Freites bring you the brightest and most influential minds in higher education today. We explore innovations, ideas, and issues in higher education and beyond, and hopefully have a little fun along the way. Now let's get to it. Twenty twenty saw staggering levels of unemployment, and while higher education institutions generally see registration spikes during these times, degree enrollments went down, and that's because we're using an outdated playbook to respond to recessions. With the second wave on the horizon, we can expect to see unemployment go back up again. Is your institution ready to adapt? To learn how, download the white paper developed by the Evolution and Destiny Solutions. Visit evolutionwith3ls.com/playbook to make sure your college is prepared for the future. Again, that's evolutionwith3ls.com slash playbook. Welcome back, everybody. This, again, is the EdUp Experience, we hope you're listening, where we interview the brightest and most influential minds in higher education today and beyond. Liz, I'm trying to change up that intro. Make sure I remember to say my name, Dr. Joe Lustio here. I know that I can introduce you properly although the, the monikers and the accolades are becoming extremely long and difficult. No, not at all. I'm just still a humble higher education faculty member trying to make my small difference in this world. Just, you can uh, yeah. say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As one of our recent guests, which the episode hasn't been released, says, oh, Elizabeth, you've near deity level in higher education. And I went, oh, my gosh, I'm, I've got a deity level person over here. CNN recognized, New York Times recognized, top voice in LinkedIn. I mean, it's just, it's almost unwieldy to deal with you at this point. Well, you know what? We're going to keep pushing in 2021. It's going to bring even better things. We have an amazing guest today. So I know (laughs) that we're going to keep lighting it up and making sure that we bring all of the new and cutting edge information that our listeners need. That's my cue that I'm giving Liz a little too much stuff. So she wants me to move on and I'm going to do that. On the line right now, we have Dr. Jean Norris. She is managing partner of Norton Norris, which is a mystery shopping and training firm out of Chicago. And she's also chair of the board for the Association for the Advancement of the College Admission Profession, ACAP, A-A-C-A-P. Jean, how are you doing today? I'm great, Joe. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, I'm going to take it uh, from Elizabeth after the episode here, but that's uh, sort of the yes. way it works at the Edup experience. You are. You're in trouble. I'm in trouble. <laughs> oh. I'm in big trouble. Um, we uh, we want to ask you how you're doing. How's your health? How's your family during this time before we jump into the episode? Oh, thanks for asking. We're we're doing great. I mean, hunkered down and, and um, you know, like I think like a lot of things we'll probably touch on today, you know, things like this forces to take a new look at life and what's important and some good things actually can come out of it. Well, you know what, this, uh, that this is true. Um, you, let me, let me just, uh, bring our listeners up to speed. Cause Jean, you and I have known each other for, I don't know how many years now. Seems like, seems like a short time, but it's been a long time. <laughs> and, um, and you have been in the career college sector 
working um, both in nonprofit organizations early in your career, for profit organizations later in your career before moving on and starting your own company. Uh, but you do have a yeah. soft spot in your heart for career colleges and, uh, and the work that they do. So can you give us just a once over about your experience and your, your uh, passion for career college students? Sure, thanks. Yeah, actually, I was one of those folks back in high school that was told I wasn't college material. And um, I was like, yeah, cool. You're right. I'm not. <laughs> so, uh, you know, went went off to the work world. And it wasn't until one day when I decided, you know, I really wanted to help people. And I had remembered that person who came to our high school who stood up there and said, hey, there's schools out there that you just get to study your major, those things that, you know, you're really passionate about. And I decided to go to a technical college to become a medical assistant. So, yeah, that my soft spot is all about that. And, you know, with, without that beginning and the, the folks who work there um, setting me on that path, I, I wouldn't be where I'm at today because it, it really catapulted me into understanding the world of higher ed um, and that there were lots of options out there. And so, you know, doing that, that diploma program and then, you know, going off and saying, hey, you know, 10 years later, finishing a bachelor's degree, <laughs> but and in that case, that was a, a nonprofit um, university. And then doing a graduate degree at a state university, and then a, a doctoral degree that I had to fly on an airplane to get to in, uh, in Florida, you know, for, for five years. So, um, so I feel like my perspective and my passion come from that, those, those beginnings, but also the variety of experiences there are in higher ed that bring me to the place today where I believe we all deserve a choice as to the type of education we want to experience. You know, that's, uh, by the way, Liz, I don't know if you know this, but if you've worked in the career college sector before, everyone knows Jean. She's one of those people that I met where I was like, hey, you know this person? She's like, oh yeah, I know that person. You know this person? Oh yeah, I can connect to <laughs> that person. And, and so the reason I bring that up, and Liz, you may or may not know this. This may be the moment that I actually tell you something that you don't know. I'm waiting now. <laughs> so the you like origin stories. Elizabeth. I love origin so, stories. And so do I. Uh, there's an origin story of the Edup experience. And Jean, Dr. Jean Norris here is actually the catalyst and the person that connected me and Elvin. I did not know that. Yeah. So this is why oh. I wanted Jean's this very, very special guest, because oh. as we look at, <laughs> as we, awesome. we look at the trajectory of this podcast, I can trace the roots all the way back to Jean. And, and Elvin was looking at some of your training software that you do at yeah. Norris, right? Mm -hmm. And I had used yeah. this training software extremely mm -hmm. effectively and it had helped mm -hmm. my organization turn things around in admissions. And I was the referral. So Gene connected El Elvin to me because I gave I was going to give Elvin a referral and talk to him about how valuable the training software is. And oh, the rest is history. Look at that. That is amazing. That's a cool story. <laughs> I like that story. So we, we thought, Gene, we would get her as our first guest. I don't remember, you know, the first ever guest to, to talk about the podcast, but we wouldn't have had as much meaning and significance as it does now to have you on, Gene. Uh, but, uh, I, I'm honored. I'm honored. For yeah, sure. no, it's, sure. hey, look at, look at this, look what you started here and you created a monsters, you know, me yeah. and now Elizabeth and yeah. Elvin's, Elvin's somewhere in his bathroom editing, you know, right now. Editing. <laughs> Poor <Yeah>. Elvin. <laughs> He is, uh, but uh, but that's a important part of the story because uh, because of uh, I think our great success and you know 
Gene Yu as a great connector in the college sector. But you went on, you started ACAP, the Association for the Advancement of the College yeah. Profession. Why? That's the question. Why start ACAP? That's a great question. Well, <laughs> admissions is, is, you know, I think anybody who's ever worked in the world of admissions knows it's sort of in your blood. You just, you know, when you ask people, oh, did you always plan on working in admissions? Everybody is like, uh, no, like I didn't even know it existed as a profession. And, you know, it's, you know, when you look at your background and Liz's background and the, the fantastic careers you've had, I, I would assume it's something similar. Like, how did I get here? And when you see that this is in Liz's a, case, a great not, profession. In Liz's case, but not me. <laughs> oh, stop. I knew all along that I would be massively successful. Liz questions it. <laughs> Oh, there you go. There you go. Uh, well, well, for the rest of the world that wants yes. to get to where you're at, exactly. it was, it, yeah, it was the idea of there's this great profession of, of individuals who truly care about students and they want to help them, you know, change their lives. And, you know, I, I became, I think it started out of frustration with, with ACAP because I was watching these people in this profession who didn't have anywhere to really go for, for professional development in a meaningful way. I mean, institutions did their own training, uh, but for the most part, there, was, there wasn't something that I saw that would bring the profession together. I also saw this huge divide between mindsets in for-profit and nonprofit education. Bothered me tremendously. So much to the point that my dissertation research actually was on moral reasoning between admissions representatives working in for-profit and nonprofit institutions. And as I went through that research, uh, at the end of the day, I found that there was no difference in, in moral reasoning scores between for-profit and nonprofit individuals that were working in admissions. They collectively cared about students. They wanted to help them change their lives. So that drove me even further to go, all right, how do we um, recognize this profession? How do we uplift these people? How do we continue with professional development? And so I reached out to, and I think one of the largest organizations is the National Association for College Admissions Counseling. Uh, proud to say I've been a member for decades of that organization as well. And with all of the resources, I was like, here we go. Let's you know, the for-profit career college sector needs to be brought in. Uh, and when I reached out, even back then, um, I got resistance um, from the executive director. And the quote I'll never forget is he said, those people have different ethical values. Mm. I was just like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a second. That includes like, me and you, Liz. No, well, <laughs> yeah, and I was just like because we worked in we both include we both worked in for-profit admissions for many years. And, yeah, yeah. So, so that that mindset is something that so even you know as with consulting with you know just thousands and thousands of people over the decades here, you even heard those same mindsets within your own organization within mm -hmm. a singular school. The faculty would say that about the admissions team. Mm -hmm. Oh, they get paid commission. They get mm -hmm. you know. And I was just like, oh my gosh. So anyway, fast forward, I was talking to some high school guidance professionals who are great friends of ours, uh, who are also, we have some great ones on our board at ACAP, and they brought up a whole other concept, which is they were overwhelmed, completely overwhelmed. 
their their caseloads, I think the national average, according to the American School Counseling Association, was like 482 to 1. And that, that's improved a little bit, by the way. And think of what they have to do every day. And not only was it about, you know, college and career advising, but it's also helping them get through high school. And then as time goes on, it becomes about all the emotional, the social emotional issues, and then throw a pandemic into the mix. So in our conversations, they're like, my gosh, we just, we can't do this by ourselves. So a little light bulb went off my head that said, hey, especially in the career college sector, these folks have dedicated professionals who, who meet with students. And that was mind blowing to the high school guidance professionals, the high school professionals. They were like, really, you do that? And so I said, well, what if we were able to upskill admissions professionals in a way that they could be your partner in a bigger way? So that's really how it, it came about. And we, we shaped ACAP um, about 2018, and we, um, we have a lot of fun things planned for the, for the future in terms of bringing together the, the groups that actually work in career education. So long story, long story long, <laughs> that's how ACAP came together. What do you think about that, Liz? No, it's, it's super fascinating because I spent many years, as you know, Joan, I know you did too, in the beginning of my career in the for-profit sector in admissions. And a lot of the things that Gina's saying is totally true. This is exactly what you hear, even within your own school, you hear mm -hmm. some of these disparaging um, comments. So yeah, I'm so... I'm so happy that that was something that you like noticed and you were like, wait a second, this needs to be addressed and it needs to be something, um, something like more of a strategy and something that will help to alleviate some of that pressure. What do we, what do you think is going to happen as we navigate all of the different changes post pandemic? Because I'm even hearing things, I'm faculty now, obviously, so I'm not really in the midst of these conversations so much, but I'm hearing a lot of, you know, back and forth between all the, the rumor mill about some of the pressure that is on the admissions team to still enroll, to still try to figure out how to get students, um, you know, back on track in terms of uh, enrolling in classes. What do you think is going to be some of the key things that in terms of support that admissions uh, counselors are going to need? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I'm not sure I have the, the answer. I have, I have ideas and in terms of what I'm hearing. So, so first and foremost, I think that that a pandemic um, really threw, threw a lot of schools and colleges into uh, a whirlwind of, of, oh my gosh, like what, what are we going to do next? Hmm. But what, it, when you look at some of the things that have happened, I'm, I'm sitting here going, it's about time. The hmm. world of higher ed needed to be shaken up and turned upside down. And yeah. there's a lot, of, a lot of changes that need to occur. But guess what happened? The, the admissions teams were like, oh, we have to do this remote. And, uh, you know, how do we do this? And so, you know, they're, they're scampering, trying to figure it out. Now, I'll mm -hmm. tell you, the innovative ones have been doing this for a long time. The, you know, the online universities figured this out a long time ago. You know, virtual is the way to go. And even when you look at how we as consumers have been doing things for a long time anyway, in terms of how we shop, 
the the whole idea of forcing students to come on campus, forcing them to meet with somebody or forcing them into one particular process of this is how you do it um, needed to go away. And I, I believe that this pandemic and the results of how, how everybody had to shift to connect to students to survive is going to continue. How do you get schools to recognize that, though, Jean? Because it's like, I I, I get so like, and I'm not in admissions anymore, obviously, so it's not like Mm -hmm. my, I I don't have any say so over it, but I get so like confused where I hear them saying, oh, the student has to fill out paperwork or the student has to come on campus. (laughs) I'm like, these students don't even know what paperwork, they're like, my daughter's 21, they're total digital natives and they don't do anything in person or using a pen and paper. So where, how do we get schools to recognize that they have to change and they have to adapt and they have to support their team with technology that will make it an easy like one-stop shop? It's almost like they wanna put the student through the paces and let's see if you want it bad enough. You gotta to come to campus and take a tour. And yeah. it's like students that don't wanna do any of that stuff. So how do you get the <laughs> schools to recognize that and get the pressure off these poor admissions counselors? Well, here's the thing. I'm, I'm hoping your podcast gets into tens of thousands of more <laughs> downloads because yes. that's the only way it's going to happen. Yeah. It's, working on it's, that. Um, working on yeah, it. Yeah, right? <laughs> and you've and, and you've done you've done a fantastic job. That's for sure. The it's a great question and one that has been so frustrating to me because yeah. even in the face of evidence, there are colleges and and higher educational institutions that refuse to change, and uh. we've. For years, for years, we have brought up to people, take a look at the traditional funnel, right? The enrollment Hmm. funnel, look at it. And we say, if you have 100 qualified inquiries or 100 leads, how many will make it through your process? And get, get this, Liz, without a doubt, every, no matter where you do this, and I'm talking, we've been doing this for years at Hmm. conferences and individual presentations and the number is usually around seven and the variables there's variables in between, but it's, it's usually seven. It's around that, you know, it always comes up the way. And so what I do is I flip and I go, okay, so your model fails 93% of the time. Right. Hmm. And they all just like their mouths just hit the table and they're like, uh, but here's, (laughs) here's the, here's the problem. It's predictable. Mm -hmm. It's predictable. And mm-hmm. any change outside of what they've known for decades, I think is just too scary for them. Is that true, Joe? They're just too scared? They don't want to take a leap of faith and just try something different? Obviously, that's not working, so they don't want to try something new? I think that's that's definitely part of it. I think there's... Um, we're seeing it now, Liz, and we talk to people. There's a little bit of a holding on to the past whenever you get hit with some level of, of uh, necessity or force to innovate. You know, I think mm. in what what we're talking about right now, what Gene's talking about has happened over time. It's happened over like a 20 year period. And there's been a lot of resistors, mm-hmm. you know, versus online education. Then it's like, boom, a, a bomb's dropped within a six month period and you have to change. But there's still resistance to change, mm-hmm. period. It's our natural existence to go, oh, this feels uncomfortable. I'm not going to do this. Um, I, I think it's that. I think there's a knowledge gap, um, you know, mm-hmm. where you're. Uh, boy, you've been trained to do something the same way over and over again, and then getting retrained to do it or thinking about doing it differently changes the entire model. If that model in your eyes, even though it failed 93% of the time, worked (laughs) 7% of the time, you justify it as working. Mm. And and you're like, I'm not changing it because then I'll be at 6%. And 
<laughs> I, so, I mean, that's true. Is it not, Gene? It's like, wow, what if it's, yeah, what if absolutely. I look at the 5%, then I'm really, my revenue, my this, that. Um, and I think, I the, you know, go ahead. I was just going to say a school owner uh, of, a, of a very large group actually two weeks ago at a conference said, if someone would have told him a year ago that students would actually go through the admissions process and enroll without coming on campus and meeting with somebody, he would have said, no way. And he said, it, over the last few months, that's all they've done. And the students are showing up and they're very well prepared. And it's just shocking to him. And I, it just it just makes me shake my head and go, we've been saying this for so long. I guess, I guess, Amazon, I guess Amazon Prime is shocking to him too, huh, Gene? That you guys can't go to the mall and try something on. In the, in the I dressing know. Room. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, here, yeah, we, we, so Liz, we talked about the buying cycle, right? So everybody, all of us as consumers, and I, I think that's the other thing to your earlier point is how do we get people to change is look at other buying patterns. Look at how you buy. How do we all buy? So you go through the, these five stages and sometimes you go through them very, very quickly, such as, hey, I'm on Facebook and I'm and this ad pops up. Well, how did it know I was looking for that? Well, there's a surprise. And so I just I click on it. I'm like, this is really cool. And I, I you know, read some of the reviews. I put it in my shopping cart. Shopping cart. I check out and it's here tomorrow. Right. So I went through that buying cycle instantly. Right. But but sometimes when you look at that buying cycle in the world of higher ed, we put in blockades. So as that student's trying to go through there, we're saying, oh, you know, stop because you have to come in or you have to do this first or our process is this. And the consumer's going, eh, no, I don't think so. I don't I don't think so. And for, oh, my gosh, stealth applications were one of the first signs of changes back in when you look at nonprofit education. Students weren't going through their process. They, the first connection with that institution was the application. And it threw enrollment managers backwards. They're like, well, you can't apply. You, 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 we haven't even talked yet. Like, you need to go through that. And the consumer saying, no, not so much. I, I'm applying. So there you go. So it throws all their models out of whack. They don't know. They can't predict things. Um, another big change that just happened this year that really threw models out of whack is the um, NACAC, as I mentioned earlier, um, was actually uh, involved in an antitrust lawsuit that was brought by the Department of Justice, basically saying that their principles of good practice needed to be changed, particularly that students didn't need to commit by the May 1st traditional deadline in traditional higher ed, that they could still look at other institutions they can still be recruited now that's think about piece, that for right, a second that, think about they can that. still look but they can get recruited that's the biggest piece think about that right so now you think you've got these people they're stopped they committed by the deadline they're coming well not so much anymore because the you know the the lawsuit said competition is good if these students can get a better offer somewhere else you know after that deadline, let them so, wow, that was that was a huge thing. And I don't know if anybody really understood the impact that that had on enrollment funnels and predictions. 
We all know continuing education and workforce development divisions, you know, the units that offer non-degree programming need to play a central role in supporting institutional responsiveness and growth. But more often than not, leaders only focus on the outcomes that these divisions drive and rarely think about the infrastructure they need to drive those outcomes. The team at Destiny Solutions in collaboration with The Evolution developed a white paper to help explain the role IT systems can play in supporting growth. To download, visit evolutionwith3ls.com slash system and get the inside track on the importance of tailor-made tech. Again, that's evolutionwith3ls.com slash system. Yeah, and, and the other, that, that's a huge deal, right? And then mm -hmm. when you add online education onto that, and you think about, mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to go to this regional institution in my area, and I wasn't thinking about getting recruited by this big, large online university past this deadline over in this area. It compounds this competition factor. And, you know, that, the interestingly, Gene, back to ACAP, because, you know, competition is what many of the critics of for-profit ed said contributed to uh, some of the institution's ethical decline, some of the closures that happened. You know, there were a few bad actors in the, in the for-profit space that, you know, that uh, sure. didn't, didn't help the, uh, the reputation. But that level of competition is hitting the nonprofit um, and state systems um, like a ton of bricks right now because there are just mm -hmm. less students. There's more competition. Everybody's got online. Everybody offers the same type of programs. And so now yeah. what, you know, and so now there's mm -hmm. these, you know, free, free, you know, you saw institutions free uh, tuition, you know, we're going to waive the parking. We're going to give you free meal plans yes. even before coronavirus. So, and it's true. like, well, yeah. that's kind of like incentivizing enrollment just a tad, isn't it? So, mm -hmm. I mean, it kind of looks familiar. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And in, in fact, I had seen a, a quote by a, a an enrollment manager saying, we're doing things now that in the past I would have thought were unethical. <laughs> so what does that mean? But I, I believe, you know, moving forward, you know, for institutions to, to survive, you know, we, we again need to look outside of the world of higher ed as to what is working and what consumers want. And Joe, you know this better than anybody based on your dissertation research and and Liz, as you brought up, the idea of how, how we all shop, you know, there's, there are two big things that I, I see um, that others do really, really well. And one is the idea of reducing friction. Now, this is, this is not a novel idea. This comes from, um, you know, a group, at, a group known as HubSpot that has done a lot of this research. But when they look at friction, you know, think about what I just described as that Amazon experience. If we look at our own experiences in terms of, of how we reach out to students and how they make it through our process, we can take a look at friction points. So what can we do to reduce friction? And when I think about friction in a, um, you know, what that means, it is different things for different audiences too. So for example, um, you could say that friction is that they're forcing me to come on campus and meet with somebody and I don't want to do that. That's a source of friction. But at a community college that has 
everything's up on their site. I mean, everything. You don't need to talk to anybody. In fact, you probably won't find people <laughs> who, mm-hmm. who can meet with you. But it's, that could be a source of friction is I can't meet with the person. So the idea of friction, again, is, is something that gets in the way that makes it difficult for somebody to move from point A, B, C, D, you know, all the way through. So I think that's the first thing is we've got to look at our process and look at where we can reduce friction. The second piece is how can we add value? And to what you said earlier, Joe, the, the idea of, of branding or what makes us different because everybody has the same thing, we need to reconsider how we add value. And I think that the admissions role is one of those places where we can actually do that. We can provide a service that they can't get from anywhere else. They can't get it online necessarily. Um, and, and even if they can, that would, be, that would actually be even more, more awesome. Um, but can we offer something more than um, you know, a conversion type of activity or filling out paperwork? Can we do true advisement? Can we really help students find the right fit? and do things differently than we've done it before, um, something to think about. And again, I think that adding value is, um, is a unique thing to each institution that they've got to figure out moving forward. And do you think this idea of adding value, is there a certain amount of resistance because in higher education, it's almost like, when I think about it, I think in terms of access, you know, especially for marginalized students, it's almost a sense of elitism where the student has to kind of come to us, you know, the student has to jump through this particular set. And even in some of the more competitive environments, the non-traditionals or the, the for-profits, they still tend to create that friction in a sense to make the student feel like, okay, you have to get through these particular obstacles to show that you really are serious. And and I think it kind of runs counter to one, the idea of access, but also the idea of creating opportunity, right? And and adding value to the students' lives rather than looking at it like the student needs you. And in a lot of sense, my 21-year-old, I keep bringing her up as an example because she's a typical Gen Z. And it's like, they don't necessarily, that doesn't, that messaging doesn't really resonate you know, with them, they really are like, well, if I don't, if I can't see clear what's in it for me, I'm just not doing it. They have the total opposite. I'm a Gen Xer and we did as we were told, (laughs) you know, it's like my mom said, I have to do this. I mean, original latchkey generation, we raised ourselves and we were taught, look, mom says, come in, open up the door, cook your Raymond noodles, sit down, do your homework. And when she got home, if that wasn't done, it was going to be a problem. So mm-hmm. it was just this total different, I think, mindset. And I'm wondering if schools are pivoting and navigating with that in mind, that the, the student is just driving. Joe talks about this all the time. The student is driving the process and the student is asking for this, but are we keeping up quickly enough to stay ahead? Because we need them in a sense. They don't necessarily need us, right? So. Yeah, great, great point, Liz, because it, it really comes down to can we make the shift in our minds that the student is a consumer? Mm-hmm. And um, unless, we, unless we take a look at that, unless organizations are ready to adopt that mindset, um, they're going to be left behind. 
because there, as long as there's choice in terms of, you know, we're like Joe said, you know, unless your program is some specialty type of thing that nobody else has, they're going to find it somewhere else. They're going to find it somewhere else. So I think, you know, the, the consumer mindset, and, it, and that can be very, very difficult when you're talking to faculty. Um, mm. that the idea that a consumer, I think in some people's minds, means that the consumer is always right. Hmm. So we have to do what they say. Um, and that's, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about they still have to earn their degree. They still sure. have to do the work. Sure. What we're talking about here is, is the, the hoops that you mentioned. Is there, mm-hmm. what, is, what is the rationale behind the hoops? And is it working for us? Good question. <laughs> what do you think, Liz? Why don't you just answer that? We put you on I mean, uh, the hot seat. I definitely don't think it's working because when I'm looking at my students, I'm a faculty member and I agree with Jean. There is a resistance in faculty. When we when I talk to faculty from the instructional design uh, perspective and I'm talking about our platform and talking about things that we need to do in terms of best practices, there is resistance from faculty about retention and about even in, uh, beyond the admissions part, just making sure that we do things to make things easier for the student. So that's from beginning, I think from the get, beginning of the process when they're first signing up for school all the way through graduation. And I agree with Jean, I do think that there is a perception that if you're talking about the customer or talking about the student as a consumer or talking about things, uh, processes to make it easier or ensure that the student's needs are met, there does become a little bit of a pushback as though that means you're giving away grades or that means everyone gets an A. And and like Jane said, that's not at all what it means. It means that we're trying to do our best to serve the student because that's what we're there for. But I think that's where that balancing act comes through as far as what is our purpose as a sector. Are we here to create barriers for access and barriers so we have some golden apple up there at the very top of the tree and and we're holding it up there or are we putting it like right there and just saying hey come get it and here's how you can do it and I have a ladder here and I have different tools let's figure out how to do this together I think it's just the messaging that I got as an undergrad was more like hey you got to climb this mountain if you can't get to the top of the mountain that maybe that means you weren't strong enough and and hey sorry that's just the way it goes, right? It's just a totally mm-hmm, different mindset. Mm-hmm. So, Gene, what 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 can ACAP solve for in this world of of uh, admissions changing world? And let me say this before you answer: there is a a there needs to be and should be, or at least for colleges and universities that want to survive, uh, unless you have a brand name that supersedes. Um, you know, is so recognizable that uh, you don't need to do it, but there's a shift from passive recruitment to active recruitment. I've got to go after Mm -hmm. the student. I can't sit back and wait for them to come to me because somebody else is going to go after them and get them before you even, they even think about coming to university. So what, Mm -hmm. what can ACAP do in this space as more and more attention, even more than uh, previous, this is going to be paid on college admissions. Yeah. Great point. Yeah, and I, you know, before I answer that, there, there are a couple of um, things that I, I just want to mention. When you say, you know, that admissions is going to be more of a focal area, um, don't forget, you know, just in this past year, some of the things that have happened that have put admissions in the spotlight, right? So beyond all of the 
the problems that you mentioned earlier as well with the for profits, you know, being documented on TV, you know, with fail state and um, you know, Operation Varsity Blues and <laughs> you know, just just issues like that. Um it does toss admissions and those in the profession into a spotlight of and and there's more awareness around it because it's out there that consumers are starting to see this and hear these stories and go, wait a second, you know, what's this all about? Even in uh, the state of Illinois, um, Dick Durbin, one of the things that he has done for seven years consecutively is he sends a letter to high school guidance professionals, teachers, and parents warning them about the evil for-profit colleges. So this, this is, this, these things are happening in our lives today that throw admissions into the spotlight as to, you know, it, it, it's just this picture of unethical behavior. So they don't get to see the positive side. They don't get to see, is this a profession? Like, how, how are these people who do this job? Wow, are they car salesmen? Where'd they come from? So, so with that backdrop, I think one of the great things ACAF can do is to offer a place for like-minded individuals who are passionate about career education and helping students change their lives. And ACAP can be that place, whether you're at a for-profit, nonprofit, um, high school or college professional that can come together to work on best practices, to educate each other, and to perhaps look at opportunities to work together in the best interests of of not just students transitioning from high school into uh, a career or technical program, but anyone who who needs um, guidance. You know, think of the adults who are deciding to go back to school, who never had anybody to to talk to, or especially now need somebody who's going to advise them. So I think first and foremost, ACAP can be that place. Because um, again, you know, for-profits were not allowed in other institutions so, uh, or member organizations. So perhaps now they can find a home. Uh, but, you know, nonprofits are definitely part of that. The other thing that we've been working on um, and we're really excited about and we're going to be um, promoting it coming up shortly here is we've spent a long time <laughs> researching and surveying uh, and collecting information around a national certification. And we are very, very proud that we are going to be providing the opportunity for admissions professionals to earn a credential, a real credential with initials behind their name and everything that certifies that they actually are proficient in, in these areas that we're testing on. So we're hoping that that credential not only will draw the right type of people into this profession, but all those great people who are doing this kind of work now will get the recognition that they deserve. And perhaps that credential will give some, some confidence to consumers and their families that the person that they're working with is, is part of something bigger and has their best interest in mind and has the skills to actually help them. So those are just a couple of things off the top of my head that I believe ACAP can do to 
to uh, solve some of the things that we've been talking about today. Yeah, I don't know about you, Liz, but you, you've got the college-age students. To know that somebody would be certified to that have the skills to ethically deliver the information and recruit my, my child, I, that would give me confidence. And it would give me confidence as an adult if I was enrolling somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Jean alluded to this in the very beginning, and maybe she can speak to this a little bit in terms of training and uh, different measures that uh, her organization is thinking about. But I think what I saw in admissions is there's such a big variety as far as the skill sets and, and what they emphasize. And, and I don't think there's as much, it's like a lot of it is time management and, and how to get certain tasks done. But in in terms of the like consultative aspects of it, like the, the being able to serve as more of a counselor to the student and give the student mm -hmm. a lot of different perspectives. I think maybe in more of a traditional school, maybe there's a little bit more of the support services for that because they probably have a bigger staff and they have more resources. But I saw that in the, some of the smaller schools and career colleges, there wasn't as much emphasis on just, okay, let's sit down and figure out what is your plan? What are you trying to do? What mm -hmm. are you trying to accomplish? And, and mm -hmm. then a little bit more of a consultative. What do you think about that? Yeah, great point. Yeah, and again, a lot of the people, as we mentioned, you know, that fall into the world of admissions don't have formal training. They're, right. they're someone who's a grad of the school mm -hmm. um, or they love working with people. Uh, but I think, it, you know, to the other point of, you know, why people are, are afraid to change, it's because this is what they've known. This is what they've done for decades, for decades. When you look at the history of how, how this process works in higher education. It's been done this way forever. And I often say, you know, look at marketing. Look at how marketing evolved over the decades. When you think about higher education, my gosh, you know, that whole idea of, you know, even having websites, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, and pop-up ads and, you know, and now all the acronyms that are used in marketing, wow, did they evolve and they evolve fast. And there's, there's more evolution coming in terms of how students are recruited. But when you look at training, when you look at admissions training, it's been the same since before <laughs> cell phones. And so that always boggles my mind. You know, why, why haven't we changed this? Why haven't we taken a new look at this? Especially given the changing consumer and especially because it's not working anymore. The, the numbers show that this approach doesn't really help us get students. And if you take it to the retention side, I, don't, I believe there's a huge opportunity for admissions to do more on the front end to actually impact students staying in school longer. And we have data to prove that. But why so, don't they capitalize on that data, Gene? Because I always thought the same thing. Uh, I'm like, you actually yeah. spend the most time with the student, and Joe can probably attest this as well, because he spent plenty of time in the career. And you actually, I think of anybody in the whole process, maybe other than faculty, develop the closest relationship with the student. So why don't they leverage that more throughout the life cycle for the student? Uh, I, you know, some of the pushback that I've heard uh, so, you know, basically, they, they, the idea of change, right? This is predictable. At least we know if we need X number of students enrolled, um, and we, you know, we, we, we know that what the formula is. I need to get X number of inquiries or leads in order to to do this. Um, and then, you know, I'll just fire people who aren't doing that and bring new ones in. So it's uh -huh. it's just what they know. Um, but I think, you know, to say that everyone. Um, 
you know, is doing that. There are innovative organizations. There are ones who are pushing past this. And my, my hope is that they push even further past <laughs> what they've done before and look at these huge, huge opportunities before us, especially given the administration, our new administration that's coming in, and some of the changes they're looking at in higher education. I mean, everybody needs to take a look at the, the agenda that's coming our way. And every institution out there is going to need to find ways to, to brand themselves differently and to create value and reduce friction. So I, my, my game plan, I, and I hope people adapt to this in some way, is create more value pre-enrollment to help advise students, give them tools that really are used by professional counselors. And we're not saying turning admissions folks into master degree professionals, that that's a whole different uh, you know, game there. So we're just talking about what are some true proven viable tools that are used that, that our admissions professionals could also use and be trained on to help students discover the right fit in terms of program, in, ter in terms of their life, in terms of the college that they choose. So if we could do that, and even if it means that those students walk away because it's not the right fit, have we not done a much better job of serving the consumer and our institutions because these people are more likely to stay? Um, and it, it also upgrades the profession of uh, the admissions professional. It creates that value and that prestige. Exactly. All right, Jean. Well, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for coming on. We've got two final questions for you. Ooh. Number one, number one, <laughs> this should be easy for you. Um, number one, is there anything that we missed? Anything at all that you want to say about Norton Norris or ACAP um, for the audience? And number two, what do you believe the future of higher education looks like? Ooh, two big questions. All right. Um, so first, I, I just think generally, you know, when I think about you know, my, my professional life. Yes, you know, Nort Norris, uh, we've been doing this a long time. I love the world of higher education. And, you know, I, I guess I'll just add that on the mystery shopping side of things, we, we are seeing additional challenges arising out of admissions teams being remote. And I just stress and, and hope people understand that those admissions professionals do need help. They're, they're having a really hard time uh, over the phone. Uh, they're having a hard time with technology. You know, a lot of these people have high energy and need to be around people. And I think a lot of them are getting burned out. Um, so pay attention to your admissions folks, you know, working in remote environments right now. Um, when it comes to compliance, when it comes to motivating um, and, and just training, I think that there's some things that, that people could really focus on right now to make an immediate impact. Um, but, I, you know, again, when we look at ACAP um, as the future of career education and bringing people together, um, you know, consider, consider joining ACAP um, at advancingadmissions.org. Just check it out. I mean, it, it is an organization, like I said, that is designed for passionate people who believe in career education who want to be better and who want to be recognized as a, as a professional. Um, so that's, that's what I'll say about those things. And your second question is about my prediction on the future of higher education. Mm -hmm. that, wow. 
Interesting. <laughs> that's that's a <laughs> very interesting. Let me think about that. The future of higher education. Oh, it'll be different, and consumer consumer demand is going to have a lot to say about what that looks like. You, you're already seeing it. It's the the push towards credit for life experience was something in the early days, but now you see Google cert, you know certifications and you see. Um, training coming from unlikely organizations that are outside of the higher ed empire. And wow, you know, how do we deal with that? And then the world of accreditation is also being looked at. So I I think it's, it's an exciting time to be in higher education. And I think, again, as I said in the beginning, that this pandemic has really thrown people to, to adapt, but I think it was just this giant punch in the arm of a system that was already broken saying, hey, you guys need to recreate yourselves. And so the future of education will not look like it has. Um, I'm just afraid it's going to be slow to change because it took so long to build and there are those that will continue to fight against change. And some of those groups are very powerful um, that, that don't want that change. But my, my prediction is we will see changes. It needs to change um, for, for us to, to stay relevant. Hope you enjoyed that episode. To learn more about the EdUp Experience, please visit edupexperience.com. And if you want to be in on the live recordings, please sign up for our email list Go to edupexperience.com and sign up to be a subscriber. We'll let you know how you can listen live and get the scoop before anyone else. So please always feel free to share this podcast, rate, review, and subscribe. We would really appreciate that. You've been listening to the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business.